Welcome back to the Resurrection Church Podcast. We're discussing the reading for week 15, which are days 99 through 105. Wow. We're like over a quarter of the way through the Bible reading plan because we're at the end of the quarter, week 15. Oh, right. There are only 52 weeks. We've got to chunk out these other chunks. Okay. Yeah, we're a quarter through. That's right. My yeah. Over. Yeah. It's going to be April tomorrow. It's true. April 1. Don't get fooled. Do you guys have any Fool's Day jokes planned? Mm. Not really. No. I don't know who I'd prank. I'm waiting for an email from Josh that says, just kidding, you're not on sabbatical. Uh, mm. But I already have an auto reply set up for if anyone emails my church email saying that I'm on sabbatical. So that he'll get that automatically. So how's the sabbatical going? Oh, it's going. You're getting words. What words they are, we don't know, but you're getting words. Yep. Uh, 4,600 so far, I think, today. Nice. Wow. What's it's the... just research notes, essentially. Oh, okay. Cool. I've also read through the book of James in Greek, and I've read the first half of uh, the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Which is the magician's nephew. Okay. Not the first uh-huh. in terms of authorship, but first in terms of, of yeah, chronology wow. of the story, not chronology of writing. Right. Is that kind of like Star Wars where they do half and then go back? Yeah, not quite, but similar. Okay. Not gonna give him that. I thought that was fine. <laughs> well, they <laughs> pretty <didn't>. much. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly. Of course, it's not exactly. Well, he didn't write half of them and then go backwards. That's true. That's what I'm trying to clarify. <laughs> but conceptually, you are 100% accurate. Started in the middle and then went back at some point. So, of course, it wasn't quite the middle. <laughs> it was sort of the near beginning, if you will. It's like starting in Genesis 2 uh, instead of Genesis 1. But, yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. What was the, what's the first book? The first book. It's uh, Cal Newport. Uh, so good they can't ignore you. Okay. Yep. What's it about? Becoming successful in life. You would like it. I think you would like it. It would dig your like kind of your JP, but better. Oh well. Okay. I was thinking that when I was reading the very small amount that I've read so far. Sounds intriguing. I think I would like to slowly read through it over the course of a year. <laughs> no, I would try to get through it quicker than that. It's probably more readable than Jordan Peterson's book as far as... Well, I don't know, but it is readable. Okay, that'd probably help. It's like the saying, when a flower blooms, it doesn't have to invite the bees. Hmm. Is that what the book's about? <clears throat> I heard an old <laughs> proverb about friendship. I don't know what you think. Yeah. It's, it's like wine. No. Gets better with age. Okay. It's uh, when a friend asks, there is no tomorrow. So it's kind of like a good friend will just drop whatever they're doing and Ooh. help you out. Where did you read that? I read that in... Cicero? No. It's a memoir by Carolyn Weber. It's called Holy is the Day. It's one of, she's got three different volumes that are memoir. So this is the second one. Okay. I've read one and three. So 
Nice. They never heard of it. You don't have to. Just like Narnia. Just the first one, Surprised by Oxford, is one of my favorite books. No way. Yeah. So that'd be a good sabbatical, like read. I think that's like beach. That's when I read it. Was when I was like on vacation. Send it my way. On a whim, I bought it on Kindle. No way. And now I have many versions. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I have my sabbatical reading pretty much lined up, but. I did just finish Malcolm Guide Lifting the Veil, which was pretty good. And just, it was so good, I ordered his book of poems called Parables and Paradox. Yeah. Do you ever pick up on ways that you pronounce things that you hate that you do it, and every time you do it, it grates against you? No. Sometimes. I often will use the word to and say ta instead. Like, he has to... Instead of saying he has to copy and paste, I'll say oh, he, has he has to copy and paste. And I just I just hate the ta oh. instead of the two. Oh, now you pointed it out. I I'm do sure that all do the that. time. I yeah. probably do that. You have to. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> you gotta. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just hate I don't think it. I can change it either. You you hate I try so hard. Wait, you hate only saying it or you hate hearing it also? No, I don't mind hearing it. Oh, I okay. hate when I do it. Okay. All right. You know what I hate hearing? When people mispronounce February. February. Yeah, everybody leaves out the R. Same thing with Wednesdays. I don't know about that one, but I'm not disagreeing, but I'm not agreeing. How is it spelled? Yeah, it's spelled like that, but I've never looked into the proper pronunciation (laughs) of it like I did February. February. Yeah, February. Feb-ru-ary. That's literally what you have to do several times, either audibly or in your mind, and then you can say it. It's what you have to do. Yes. It's what you have to got to (laughs) do. Matthew, you had Deuteronomy 24 through 28. What would you like us to observe in these chapters? 14 through 28? Um, I mean, the, uh, the, the beginning part is interesting with... Uh, you know, the foods they were to abstain from and the ones that were clean. Uh, overall, a lot of interesting things in the passage. I'm not sure exactly where I want to stop off first. Some of it I feel like was a repeat from numbers or at least some of the laws or um, principles that were shared, such as uh, like refuge cities, stuff like that. What's that look for? Yeah, AJ, what are you looking at him like that for? (laughs) Can't believe it's just a repeat. I mean, I didn't say it's pointless. I mean, it is Deuteronomos, right? The second giving of the law, you might say. Obviously, it takes some different shape because they're not um, wandering in the wilderness. They're preparing to enter the land. So these laws take on a specific shape, which is how they are to be uh, followed in the land that the Lord is giving them, which is a phrase that we hear over and over again in these chapters. Yeah, I thought a lot of the more specific practical instruction was interesting, and I enjoy that. Um, One of the things that I found interesting and kind of stuck out to me was in Deuteronomy 21. Wait, can we? are we already going to 21? Well, yeah. Can we start at 14? Mm. <laughs> Matthew's leading this train. 
Whoa, whoa, wait. Are we are we trudging through chapter by chapter? Well, I want to point a few things out if you're not going to. All right, go for it. Jump in. I you thought this in? was one of our most interesting readings so far. I thought a lot Do of tell. it was. I thought a lot Deuteronomy of Deuteronomy tell. Deuteronomy tell. Okay. I I think it's interesting. When when someone tells you you need to give a tithe to the Lord, what what comes to your mind? The widow. money. Yeah, or like giving 10% of something you have to the Lord, right? Yes. Well, in Deuteronomy 14, every year you're to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields, and this is what you're supposed to do with it. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, and fresh oil in the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of the Lord your God. You're supposed to eat it. And if the place that he's designated is too far— or you can't carry all of that because the Lord's bless you that much, then you need to sell it for silver. And then you take the silver and you go to the place where the Lord your God chooses and you can spend the silver on anything you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer, or anything you desire. And this is what you're supposed to do with it. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. Isn't that amazing? Sounds nice. What you dedicate to the Lord the way that God enjoys that is by you enjoying it in his presence. So is that what you guys are doing? Are you saving all the money we give you and we're going to have a feast? Well, if we were living in a different world, actually, uh-huh. in, in under the old covenant law, and if I were a priest, a Levitical priest, I'm appropriately named as Aaron, every three years, you and everybody else would bring that tenth and uh, the Levites would be able to come and eat and be satisfied. That's amazing. <laughs> I just think it's great. It, no, it is cool. I, I forgot about that part. I would like to point out that throughout, the Lord reminds them that he is the one giving them the land, and because he's giving it to them, they can be generous with other people, whether that's in the way that they lend their money or they cancel their debts, or they release their slaves. It's all predicated on the fact that God has shown generosity to them. I'd also want to point out that when we get the instructions in Deuteronomy 17 for appointing a king, Saul, the first king, violates this in just about every way. And then just about everything that follows, you can identify a place where King Saul also violated those commands— So, for example, in chapter 18, verse 11, the Israelites are prohibited from consulting a medium or a spiritist or inquiring of the dead. And that's exactly what Saul did. Uh, So, as we go along the way, maybe I'll think of some others that I thought of as we were going through it. But Saul violates the instructions for a king, and he he violates other parts of the law. All right, you go. No, it's all you, man. Uh, you stubborn and rebellious son. Are you gonna take me out to the gate and have me stoned? Only if you're a glutton and a drunkard. Oh, and if your parents take you out. They live far away, so I'm all right. But likely, they would have to be the ones who cast the first stone, which is part of the law, right? So if somebody is committed of has committed a crime and you're the witness against them, and they're, they're convicted with the death penalty, the witness is the one who has to cast the first stone. Hmm. So there's something that would happen if they threw it and they were lying? Mm-hmm. 
like with well someone. then there if you lie if you bear false witness you're supposed to be put to death right but i mean would something miraculous happen to rat them out yeah they'd they'd go to throw it and it would boomerang would, back would, yeah it would just it would <laughs> slip no that's not in there oh. but I didn't know. So um, <clears throat> one thing I was thinking about, Deuteronomy 20, it's laws concerning warfare. Mm. And I found that interesting. It gives a good amount of detail of what to do, uh, a little bit of what not to do. But thinking about it, because if this is one of those things that people find problematic where they're like, God is... Um, commissioning genocide of people, and that is horrible. So, therefore, I don't like the Bible or whatever. Um, not to get into the that whole thing specifically, but the people that the Israelites perhaps generally were overtaking and taking their land and kind of killing everybody, weren't these people generally doing kind of horrible things? And because in, where was it, 18? Yeah, abominable practices. When you come into the land that the Lord is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. So, you know, then I'm reading chapter 20. And because I think maybe people have this picture that, you know, Israelites are coming to this land and there's just this innocent people minding their own business, going about their simple everyday life and they're not hurting anybody they're not hurting a fly and then all of a sudden the horrible israelites come in and just slaughter them and take their land and oh those poor people but really in reality they were actually doing kind of like awful things right yeah this is a really tough chapter i think we need to remember that if we were god we would do the same thing by commanding them to do this type of warfare Aaron would say, <laughs> even though we no, well, every, no, 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 no. I'm trying to remember what you said. No. You yeah, we did just talk about this last week. But, remember. but okay, I guess here's a follow up question or comment going off of that. There are uh, instruction and law given on the person to person level, where if somebody does this, it's despicable. They must be put to death for doing this. Mm-hmm. So, is it kind of like? Lots of those things that God gave the individual instruction to the people of Israel, probably all the people of these nations were kind of doing all that stuff all the time. So the same judgment of death was coming down on them. Does that make sense? Is, yeah. Was that I, kind and, of parallel? And I think that's a really astute observation because it's not as if these nations were righteous and they were unrighteously being punished but they've been storing up iniquity for generations is the way the Lord talks about it. And so Israel is not to be seen as this nation taking advantage of somebody else and unjustly wiping them out, but really they're to be seen as the arm of the Lord executing his justice for their crimes. Right. Okay. That that makes sense. That's kind of what I assumed, but at least right here in... 20, you know, it doesn't go into specifics. Oh, and these people were sacrificing children every day and just pillaging their own people. I won't go into anything more 
uh, graphic. Yeah, but it's like if but, it said but that, you can imagine that many of these laws that God gives are so that Israel will not be like the other nations who are already in the land. Right. More than that, as we look at the rest of what we might call the hexateuch, right? These Joshua added on onto this in, in Judges. When we look at Israel going into the land where there are pagans who want to adopt the ways of the Lord, they escape the judgment of death. So I told you guys I was reading through James this week. Well, that's exactly what happened to Rahab, right? Uh, Rahab, this prostitute, has apparently understood that the Lord's ways are right and I need to submit to what he's doing. And she escapes destruction because she identifies with God and his people. So even as Israel is going into the land and wiping out these other nations, I think we should always understand that there was a way for any individual in those nations to escape death, which was to um, submit to the way of the Lord. And we see that over and over again. It's all making sense. I like that. Chapter uh, 21, I guess, similarly, maybe not similarly, but I was initially a little bit confused. Like, why are they doing that? Why do they have to do that? This seems a little bit pointless. But uh, the whole thing of like, you find a dead person in a field, you don't know what happened. You know, they bring a heifer out and break its neck and then wash their hands over it or something like that. I'm like, why do they got to do that? But I guess that's just a further uh, carrying out or further consistency of, you know, sin like that or bad things like that, something has to happen to atone for it to uh, to make that situation pure, essentially. Yeah, I think there's that cultic level. And then also I think it just emphasizes the dignity and value of human life to where when someone is murdered or killed or even a death where you have no idea what the circumstances were, it's not just going overlooked. It's not just being pushed to the side as if it, that person didn't matter. I mean, I think if if every time a dead body was found in our society, the people in that community had a ritual that they had to perform, we would care more for the dead bodies. We would care more for people who are put in circumstances where they're likely to end up dead. And, and I think that's what these things sort of practically do. So, for example, last summer, there was a body found in Lake Early right behind our church, and... If our block had to offer up a bull, I think we would care more about that guy. We definitely think about it more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, what it does is it evokes from people a love for neighbor, or at least an awareness that they ought to love their neighbors. Some of this stuff is just very interesting culturally from back then to now, very different I don't know how much we need to get into all of it. I would get into all of it, but talk about what you want to talk about. Well, I mean, a lot of it. A lot of it we just can't relate to. I mean, marrying female captives. There was rules for that. You got to wait a moon and all that, and then right after that, you have two wives: one you love, one you don't love. Even if your firstborn is from the one that you don't love, you can't show favoritism to the son that you do love more from the woman you love more. It's just like, you know, a lot of these situations we can't really relate to, I guess, in our current day. But I just find them interesting that 
you know, it was common enough practice back in that day that they needed rules for it to, uh, you know, govern their everyday life. Yeah, I think I would, for maybe more adult or mature listeners, recommend watching a TV show called The Vikings. It's a really gruesome show, but I think it portrays a little bit more of what life in the ancient Near East would be like. Obviously, it's Nordic sort of tribes, but I think it helps us understand the inclinations of society in that time to where when you go to war against another town, it's the normal practice for those men to capture wives for themselves, but not to take them as wives, just to have them sexually and then cast them to the side. Um, or to take multiple wives and when they're unhappy with one of them, fail to provide for that wife. Well, I think when we start to observe that as the normal pattern of society, we start to recognize that these laws in Deuteronomy are mitigating the evil that's in the world in the natural practices of society. Now, we might look at it and say, but shouldn't the Bible just outlaw everything bad altogether? And on the one hand, I, I want to agree with that. But on the other hand, I think this is just pointing us forward to the need for a law that can accomplish the actual righteousness needed, not just point us in that direction. And ultimately, it's only Christ and the commands of Christ that establish true righteousness. These laws, I think, work in that direction. They point in that direction, but ultimately, they're mitigating evil. I was just going to point out the uh, the passage in 21, 22, where it says that a, a man is cursed who hangs on a tree. We see that in Galatians 3. Paul brings attention to that. Yeah, Paul picks that up, right? He And he is trying to say Jesus was cursed really for you, right? And you're not to hang there all night. Yeah, it is I, I, a little bit ironic that the Jews were so fastidious about observing that command at Jesus's execution. So they, they could think of themselves as law abiders, even though they had really um, Killed broken them. the law. Right. You know, the, the laws that precede this in our reading require that there are no false witnesses, but that's how Jesus was condemned. So it's this really interesting scenario. If you have the progression of Deuteronomy in mind, where there are individuals who have broken the law just so flagrantly, and then they're fastidious and particular about keeping the law on this one point. Yeah, true, because it says several times that there has to be multiple witnesses to condemn somebody, this, that, and the other. And and the false witnesses should receive the punishment right. of the person that the person would receive if convicted, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think this might be a good time just to pause and reflect on the fact that we could read those gospel accounts of Jesus's accusation and execution and gain something from it, but it's deepened more when we understand the the realities at play here with the, the law that was broken on the way to that by these religious elites. That's, yeah, that's a good point that you bring up because the people that were most doing that were the people that knew the law best. So they knew in the back of their mind, oh, we're 
doing all these ones wrong, but who cares? We don't like this guy. Get rid of him, you know? Just yeah, they were the teachers of the law, yeah. right? But they had this secret trial where they broke the law in private, and then in public, they kept the law, right? And that's a theme that Jesus, I think, berates them for over and over again in his ministry is you do all these things publicly, but in your hearts, you're you're not people who love God and love neighbor. There are a lot of various laws, a lot of miscellaneous. I enjoyed those sections. Did you like them? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay, good. And they weren't all together either. There was some chapter 22, and then you know, there's they start talking about something else, and then there's more just kind of miscellaneous. Is it miscellaneous? Miscellaneous? Miscellaneous. Miscellanei. <laughs> I don't think so. One thing that was nice is, uh, I don't remember at all where it was, but it's kind of like if you're going to besiege a city take it over don't cut down the fruit bearing trees use them don't be stupid if there's ones that aren't bearing fruit use those to like be practical with and then similarly in 22 that was one of the various laws something about finding a bird or a nest on the ground it was like let the mother go but you can use the other ones so it's just kind of a way of not being dumb and still kind of preserving nature and not just being completely destructive with stuff. Yeah, and I think it's a reminder that this land does not belong to you. It's being given to you by the Lord, so you need to operate as stewards of this land and all that's in it because it's it's God's, it's not yours. A lot of them are practical and you know, we're not in the same culture, but logically they they make sense. You're like, "Oh yeah, that's that's practical." But some of them Mixing of the different fabrics, you know, that doesn't serve too much of a practical purpose as far as I'm aware. Is it more about not being like other people or God wants it done this way? And so it's a, a Can you recall where that text is? Is it um, 2211? Is it because... Yes, it is. Is it because wool shrinks a lot? Where their garments get all screwed up? That, oh, maybe that is. I don't know. Well... You end up... Don't you, wear cloth you, and wool and linen. You buy a large and you wash it and it comes out an extra small. Mm. Maybe he was trying to help them avoid that. I don't have any answer to your question. I think some of these laws, they're hard for me to understand or make sense of. Clearly, there's a theme of not mixing things together in inappropriate ways, whether that's uh, a male wearing female's clothing or vice versa or plowing with a donkey and an ox and then you get to the clothing where it's not to be mixed. And I don't know if this is communicating something about the orderliness and um, like being with like the right pairings of things. I don't know if um, this is in part guarding against being cheap and ripping somebody off, you know, where you're substituting a donkey for another full ox to plow with. And, And same thing with clothing where you're making cheaper clothing that will wear out sooner. I I have no idea. I would be interested in reading about this more someday, but certainly it seems like most of the laws in the Old Testament are generated by circumstances that have actually happened. There's a narrative connected to it, um, either recorded in the scripture or that happened in Israel. So who knows what these things are connected to. If you find out, send it our way. We would love to read it on the air. Yeah, the first part of 22, I think, is nice and practical, just about, you know, if you lose something, or no, if, if you see somebody has lost something, it's like, 
Don't ignore it. Don't overlook it. Take it and try and give it back to them. And if you don't know whose it is, well, keep it until, you know, ask around or maybe somebody will come asking for it and be like, hey, yeah, I have that. I found it. It's like, yeah. wouldn't that be nice if people did that every time you lose something? Yeah. So if, you know, any of you see Glenn or Susan walking around, <laughs> grab those cats and hold on to them for Matthew. They are strictly indoor cats. But if they should get loose, yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll come get them. You can text me. Or it can apply to our church if you notice a glove on the floor or something like that. It's like, I don't, do we have a lost and found or something? Or Do we have a lost and found? That's a good question. I think our lost and found is we just stick things in the cubbies. Okay. And then if it's yours, you grab it. Hope hey, someone it sees it at eye level. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, I think there's at least a larger theme of being oriented towards the needs of other people and respect for God's ownership over all things to where you're not, you're not just thinking about yourself. You're going through your life with a concern for others and then you actually act to meet their needs. Fast forwarding to Deuteronomy 28. Oh, are we not going oh. to Luke? <laughs> okay. Oh, right. we can go there right now. Nope. No, nope. let's hit Lu- let's hit twenty eight because this is grody. Well, it kind of yeah. is. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, like the most sensitive and refined woman yes. among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her refinement and sensitivity, will begrudge the husband she embraces, her son and her daughter, the afterbirth that comes out from between her legs, and the children she bears, because she will secretly eat them for lack of anything else during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you within your city gates. It's true. And right before that... Those are some of the darkest words in the Bible. Well, yeah, it, it makes Jesus' warnings in his um, prophetic words about the destruction of Jerusalem really pale. Hmm. Like, we might think those are tough, but he's just summarizing and being less, I don't know, graphic than what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy. And it says a very similar thing right before that about a man, a very, where is it? Man who is most tender and refined among you. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing, eats his, you know, eats his children when he's besieged. But yeah, that's what, I mean, 28, kind of like you said, that's it's graphic, it's specific, it's rough, it doesn't pull any punches. But I mean, I think that's good because the the first half, talks about great blessing for obedience, very real great blessing, and then if you don't, very real and great curse for disobedience. You can really see the uh, disproportionate sections on those blessings and cursings. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I like the way that the CSB sort of textually lays out this, where there's that initial poem of blessing in 28, 3 through 6, and then there's the poetic cursing in 16 through 19 to where it really parallels perfectly. And, and they emphasize that in the way they, they structure the text or lay out the, the print. We don't get that in our matching ESV study Bibles. Matthew. So because oh. this is radio, not television, it sort of makes everything look like it would be in Psalms just for those verses. And it emphasizes the parallel between the blessings and the cursing. Oh, that's nice. The ours didn't do that. It's a good-looking Bible. And, and then I would just want to comment that here, 
these words of cursing would identify people who violate the covenant with the serpent in the garden who was cursed and with Cain. And so we haven't really been tracing all the biblical theological themes as we've been going through the text, but I think this is a place where we'd want to say, if Israel rejects God, they're identifying as the offspring of the serpent instead of the offspring of Abraham, and they receive the same punishments uh, as the serpent and as Cain, right? So they're sent out of the land. Um, And in one place, it talks about rain being turned to dust until it kills you. Well, this this resonates with language from Genesis. I think the it says the worst thing that can happen is that they're going to be sent out of the land and brought back to Egypt in boats or something like that. Yeah, Ships. it's like the reverse of yeah. their redemption. Yeah, lots of boils and stuff too, with no relief. Yeah, it's like all the plagues of Egypt are now being poured out on them. Yeah, yeah. I I I just think verse twenty four. Yahweh will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. Um, your corpses will be food for all the birds and with no one to scare them away. So if you think back to when God was making the covenant with Abraham and he cut the animals in half and he scared the birds away, well, it's like an undoing of all of God's covenantal promises to humankind working all the way back and identifying them with Adam, cursed with death, to return to dust. One final connection back to Genesis. When when the cursing comes, God provides hope through two ways. One, through food, which will sustain life. So Adam will work the ground, and even though there will be thistles, he'll provide food. And the other way is through childbirth. So there will be life that's created from this couple that mitigates the curse of death. Well, both of these things are totally reversed in in these curses. There will be no grain, no new wine, no fresh oil, and then they're going to be eating their offspring. So it's, it's just like all of the hope that was given to Adam and Eve is totally dashed here in the curses, which paves the way for a new Adam, another humanity where this humanity fails. And ultimately, of course, we know that is Jesus. So we get to the Luke reading. When I read the the passages for Luke, I had one of those experiences where you read something in your Bible reading, and then later in the day you encounter that passage or someone mentions that story that you read. And I always like those coincidences when they happen. What happened? Elaborate. Well, I'm curious. Yeah, I had two in one day. The first one was um, the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. I was reading this book by Carolyn Weber called Holy is the Day. One of the chapters... Now, is that a memoir? It is a memoir. It discusses um, her... <laughs> I don't know what's funny about that. Brought it up earlier. Of course it's a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was just trying to pretend like I have knowledge of this book that I've never read or heard about <laughs> until today. <laughs> so this chapter is about when she's a PhD professor at Oxford and she goes on sabbatical in California and they get to a new church and they've only been there a couple times and they have three toddlers, twin boys and a a little bit older girl, three or four or something. And she, her husband leaves to go do something on business and she experiences a migraine for the first time and just can't 
keep anything down and just can't see. She's just in so much pain. And on a whim, she calls someone that she met once at this church. And this lady comes and like organizes people, like watch her kids. She takes her to the hospital. The pastor of that church comes and visits her in the hospital. And just these people that barely knew her just took care of her and really ministered to her family in this time that they just was recounting that and how blessed she was in that time. That's what that chapter was on. Um, the friendship that Jesus brings when you connect with other believers. I was thinking as I was reading through the chapter that this sounds like that Good Samaritan story that I read earlier yeah, today. And then it does she, sound a lot like she it. She points it out, you know, towards the end of the chapter. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, in, the, in Luke. So I was like, oh, nice. Hmm. We're not trying to speak crippling um, health deficiencies over you during your sabbatical, though. We yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I think it, it is a little bit interesting that in our reading— we did hear a story about a good Samaritan, but then we also hear a story about Jesus's journey to Jerusalem, and he entered into a village of the Samaritans, and they didn't welcome him. And so Jesus is not trying to make a statement about Samaritans are better than other people or something, but he's giving, that's, that's one feature of the story that would maybe make people inclined to think negatively about that person and they realize even as they've judged that individual, they see who the true loving neighbor is. This podcast is a ministry of Resurrection Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. You can find it, as you probably already have if you're hearing it, at resurrectionmn.org.